0: Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
1: If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time
2: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes
3: everything.
1: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast
3: Network. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Ray Harkins. You're listening to 100 Words of Last, the podcast. Thank you for joining us on this fine afternoon or evening or morning or dusk. (laughs) I was just trying to think of some other times of the day, but um, yeah, thanks for joining us. And the guest this week is Mr. Jeff Rosenstock, artist extraordinaire, troubadour of the people. Um, I was very excited to have this conversation with him. And gosh, I know I always say very excited, but this is a person who, uh, you know, I've respected the sort of uh, output that he has done for a while in regards to music and the sort of message that he has pushed across and just kind of how he's trying to do... Things on his own terms, while also still existing within the context of the music industry um, now, rather than what he was doing previously, because uh, his previous band was called Bomb the Music Industry, right? So, um, yeah, that was that. But anyways, um, I, ha- I have to, I have to tell you about uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is a good friend of mine, Mike Mowry. He runs a record label called Outerloop Records, and uh, I want to play you a song from a band of his called Chasing Safety. Now, this label has been around for for a while, but now they are kind of relaunching because they've signed some new bands and they want to get the word out there. So um, yeah, this band is called Chasing Safety. And uh, yeah, they, I'll, I'll just let you listen to the song and um, you can tell me what you think about it. And then uh, we can go forward from there. So um, yeah, here is Chasing Safety and just a little clip of it called Brand New Prison. I the end the song. So uh, hear that. In. Yeah, yeah. dug that you should go to allinmerch.com slash outer loop and you'll be able to pre-order the record the record is uh it's really good it's like i said the song's called brand new prison and the record is called nomad and that's due out january 6th of next year which is insane that i'm saying 2017 but yeah it's like right around the corner so yeah go check it out because outer loop records uh they're they're doing cool things they don't focus on uh, sort of trends. They focus on bands that they think are, you know, kind of excelling at their own genre of music. So uh, I always appreciate that. So thank you very much out loop records and uh, yeah, chasing safety as well. So, um, moving right along the, um, outpouring of support that I've had in regards to many of you who uh, heard the news last week that, uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer and, uh, we're, uh, we're in the middle of it right now. She actually had her first treatment of uh, chemotherapy today and um i just can't thank you enough as a you know human being to human being obviously this world we live in is sometimes not sometimes a lot of the times very very scary and we have no idea what each day will hold and just to have that sort of connectivity and support and genuine concern about myself my wife my son um this journey isn't going to get any easier but the support that all of you have kind of just rallied around has been um to me, that's the most overwhelming thing. It's just so, it's so beautiful. So thank you very much. And, um, you know, actually my wife and I have been recording some conversations that, uh, I may end up posting a little bit later, whether or not it's its own separate sort of little podcast thing or whether it's, it's, uh, it will be published on this feed. I'm not 100% sure, but, um, she actually came up with the idea and I was uh, happy to oblige. So anyways, that is that And, um, like I said, Jeff Rosenstock just, uh, just stoked on life. I was really glad to have this conversation with him. And, um, he's just in the midst of, of doing so many cool things. I'd, uh, I'd really, really recommend listening to his record that just came out this year called sorry. And the fine people at side one dummy records put it out. And, um, you can just tell that guy works really, really hard at what he does. So, um, Anytime anybody puts that sort of effort into the music that they create and the vibe that they are trying to put across, I just, I love it. So had to have them on the show. And at times our connection gets a little spotty, not to the point of where I felt like I had to throw the entire conversation out, but there are just little moments where it's kind of like, it breaks up a little bit, but just wanted to front load that. Uh, if in case you're like, I need pristine audio quality, which if you're listening to this show, then I'm sorry, you're just never going to get that, <laughs> but you're going to get as close as I possibly can do in regards to a contained slash studio recording. So, anyways, here is Mr. Uh, Jeff Rosenstock, and I will speak to you after the show's over. You and I are roughly the same age, and we've... we definitely have many, many mutual friends, but um, it was one of those things where I think I got keyed into you, obviously, when bomb music industry was happening. Um, and initially, it was one of those things that I, I saw, obviously, the uh, sort of manifesto that you had and what you were uh, attempting to accomplish, and frankly, were accomplishing. Um, initially, it was just like, "Oh, that's a cute idea." Like, I, I wonder if that'll work. <laughs> but then, but the thing was, is I, and I don't mean to use the word "cute" as demeaning, but it was just like, "No, it's
2: not." I mean, is, are we? Is this on right now? Or are we yeah. just talking?
3: oh no we're on my friend we're okay,
2: cool perfect (laughs) every and well i mean i kind of just thought it was a cute idea too like i don't don't think it's so demeaning like there wasn't like a big fucking like all right we're gonna take over the world like even though i was talking loads of shit uh that was just because i thought the music industry was dumb and like i was frustrated with that but like i didn't think it was gonna become a whole fucking thing i was just making records in my bedroom you know
3: yeah, no, totally. Totally. Um, and, uh, but you know, the, the thing that made it obviously endearing to a person like me and I know many others was like, obviously it came from a very real and earnest place. Like, you, you know, you were, uh, you were attempting something obviously from the heart and you can kind of tell it, um, but I, pre- I presume at many points in your, you know, uh, whatever experiment, whatever you would like to call it, uh, of, that there were points where you, uh, you kind of drove yourself crazy with a lot of the rules that had been kind of, you know, set in place. Uh, or is it one of those things where it was just like, oh, if that doesn't work for me now, then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of throw that away
2: it was more of the second thing, but it wasn't like, if that doesn't work for me now, it was just kind of like adapting to new situations. Like bomb the music industry, uh, as a starting thing, wasn't really supposed to be anything. Um, and so as it grew and as we toured and stuff like that, and then at towards the end where touring was like a thing that we were doing a lot of and going internationally and stuff like that. Um, we just tried to kind of adapt to the, the vibe of the start if that makes sense you know what i mean so like uh, take take shirts for example that's a big thing that's something that like i do always kind of wonder if we could have just done it without ever selling shirts or ever selling records but we did and that happened um but it was like we uh like people kept asking for us for shirts, uh, for those who, okay. So for most of the people listening who don't like know, uh, the thing about bond music industry for a while was that we did not sell any shirts. We didn't want to sell merchandise. Um, I specifically didn't want to. I'm sure my band members got frustrated with that at, at points in time. Um, but so, if you brought a shirt to a show, uh, we would spray paint the shirt for you. We just make a shirt, and then you wouldn't have to spend any money. And it's cool. Um, you could donate if you want to. And um, like before, we had vinyl records or anything like that. Um, like towards the end of where we literally had nothing, like we were bringing in like between 100 and 200 dollars a show just on donations. Um, so was like it was working out kind of cool for like a small band to like have that much it seemed seemed cool to me um but like yeah we would tour a lot and people who didn't know about that would just kind of get frustrated and just be like i just want to fucking support your band and you won't let me and uh you know there's a point where like if you're i felt like if we're annoying people More than who, like, if we're annoying people who like us and want to support us, we should probably not do that. We should probably appreciate that these people want to help us out and support us. So, um, so that was, that's kind of like just an example of how we evolved. So, I think that, like, having a set of rules, um, while it kind of seems like that it wasn't really like that like the whole point of punk is fucking no rules and i think the whole point of Bond the music industry was to not really have a set of rules necessarily but like um to not follow the rules that somebody else had already set in place which is that if you want to be a band you have to sell things um and i didn't want to sell things i just wanted to record it on my own and put it out so that's kind of how that all happened it wasn't like trying to be like all right we have this punk ethos and we're gonna fucking show everybody something like it wasn't really like that it was just like i was a lonely kid tired of bullshit and so i wanted to do things the way that i thought i I always wanted to do them you know
3: yeah oh no absolutely i totally get it and it was cool because like with that sort of uh you know ethos that you're obviously injecting into what it was you were doing you know obviously it's very akin to what other bands have done but it's like i remember there's um I, i'm based here in southern california and there's this uh, you know label slash distribution company called ebullition records that's based in santa barbara um, you know kind of definitely along the sort of you know uh, hardcore punk sort of vibe but you know they had a lot of these bands that um you know very very strictly uh, adhered to the uh, you know DIY like you know they would be they were like no fucking barcodes on our records like you know we we're, we're rallying against the system in the same way that you obviously were doing but there was similar yeah. vibes where a band you know a band they would it, it, as opposed to selling merchandise they would go to a local thrift store buy like you know twenty or thirty you know two dollar t shirts. Screen print, you know, their band logo on, you know, some terrible like, you know, pizza delivery shirt or whatever, and then sell that for like five bucks at the show. But it's like, I just I the the spirit is obviously I think what really endears people towards it. It's not so much the execution. It's the fact that it's just like, oh, dude, someone's fucking trying
2: yeah yeah i think so and i i mean and my my band before bomb we did stuff like that too we'd we'd see like i remember going to old navy and there being like a closeout on like soccer style shirts and they cost like a dollar 50 each or something like that and we just bought like as many of them as we could and sprint and screen printed our logo on it and we did that you know i think with bomb a big thing was like i just didn't want to sell anybody anything i didn't want to sell anybody anything at all i wanted people to be able to come see us play and not feel like uh, they were obliged to spend money beyond the ticket price at the door, you know, just somewhere where you could kind of be safe from capitalism, uh, which is you know, which just is never the case anyway. Because even if, and I kind of learned that later on with like house shows and stuff like that, um, like even if you're playing a house show and it's like suggested donation at the door, like a lot of the times people will choose to spend their money on like a 12 pack of like bush instead of like throwing in like five bucks towards the door towards a touring band so instead of like uh you know putting money in to like the arts to the thing that you're supporting you're giving it to a big corporation you're like oh sick this show's free i don't have to pay i could get drunk um which is like i always so I, th- I think, like, as stuff went on, I kind of was realizing things like that. It's just a matter of how to, like, navigate it in a way that I still feel like, um, that I still feel like we're not really, that we're that we're still a band for somebody who doesn't have the money to spend on shit. And I and we try and do that still now. Like, like the Solar Records are still free and, you know, trying to still be able to do stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you hold on just one second. Yeah. Uh, phone's gonna vibrate and it's probably gonna keep picking up on the thing. Um come on, phone. Do a better <laughs> job. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's definitely not the user, it <sighs> is a piece of technology.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is these things don't work. <laughs> um no, Skype was making it hard, but now I'm good. All right. Good cool. No more no more beeping during the talk.
3: Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I I didn't hear it at all, so we're we're good. But um Oh shit! No, dude, I could have gotten away with it. <laughs> you, could, you, you could have. You could have been uh, multitasking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So you, you yourself, you were, you were, were you born and raised in Long Island, or was that kind of where you just uh, you, you grew up?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm born and raised in Baldwin, New York. Probably not born in Baldwin. Born at a hospital in another town, but um, I am from Baldwin. Yeah, Got and uh, yeah, that's where I grew up, and uh, it's a it's a place where I lived. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so what, what was your uh, what was your family structure like like mom and dad in the house brothers and sisters what was the uh making? yeah i don't mom and dad brother and
2: a sister uh brother and sister were super 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 smart which was kind of strange for me growing up because uh i just like i don't know i wasn't smart the same shit that they were smart at um and i was just kind of weird growing up it was like oh fuck you know <laughs> like for like for example can you still hear me
3: oh yeah yeah no i'm good
2: yeah yeah like for example uh or not for example my my sister like writes for the new girl and my brother is currently like applying to be a fucking astronaut so like me as like a little like ska kid is just like hey guys wait up <laughs>
3: I, I I can see that where it's just like uh yeah they're we, we're on a different uh, creative life path so that's for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're but they're both super funny. I love them a lot. They're great. I love my brother and sister.
3: Yeah. Um and what w- what did your parents do as you uh for for work as you were growing up? Uh, my dad is
2: a lawyer and kind of was just doing his own thing with that and uh my mom uh was an art teacher. It was an elementary art school teacher. Um which was convenient because I'd have like markers and stuff to play with all the time.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. The added benefit. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Oh yeah. And then God, I want to start making zines. It was like, cool. Make the copies at mom's school, cut them up with
3: mom's paper cutter. Sick. Awesome. You know? Yeah. Basically she was your built in Kinko's.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Dude, that's, that's incredible. Um, And so then, uh, you know, what kind of kid did you find yourself being as obviously you were uh, starting to, you know, go to junior high, junior high and high school and your, uh, you know, identity, what you gravitated towards and stuff like that?
2: I don't know. I mean, I think when I was, when I was in uh, elementary school, uh, I... I don't know what was I doing I was doing like a lot of I know that I was doing a lot of community theater stuff which is weird um and I was doing it because my sister was doing it and I was just like oh my sister's doing this cool thing I want to hang out with my sister um and uh I don't know it was it ended up being like a strange tense thing where I felt a lot of pressure to like do things correctly during it um and I feel like like just like not fucking up lines or fucking up like blocking and stuff like that. Cause like you'd get yelled at. It didn't matter how old you were. Like they'd give you shit if you fucked up. Right. Um, and, uh, like I think after, and that like started that, that kind of, uh, is where I started realizing that I was a very anxious person, um, in that situation. And, uh, i and that kind of like, once I hit junior high, um, i stopped doing that i started getting into like punk stuff uh like green day had happened and so i was like doing my own research of trying to find bands on my own but uh i felt like a lot of the people who didn't who liked that stuff in in my junior high and stuff like uh, they were all skateboarders and stuff and I couldn't skateboard and like, I just like couldn't hang with them basically. Like I didn't like, I was like a fucking nerd who was into this stuff and they were certainly cooler than me, probably cooler than I am now. Um, so like, I don't know, I kind of just went to junior high and, uh, was kind of floating around and didn't really know what to do. And I was like into music and I had a few friends and, but like, it was just kind of like I don't know I felt lost for a while and uh, eventually through like listening to punk and metal I stumbled across Long Island hardcore stuff and uh, from there kind of ended up finding ska stuff and realizing that like i could be a part of like local shows and shit like that um and i think once that happened i really kind of figured myself out i was just like oh fuck i could be in bands i could play in bands and stuff and me and my friends would start bands and we'd play shows and we'd book shows and it was really fun
3: Nice. Nice. So I, I didn't know, I, I actually presume that your, uh, origin was, was mostly more rooted in ska, but that, so you mentioned long Island hardcore, I presume like uh yeah. VOD silent majority, all that sort of stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Silent majority, um, cleanser, tension, glass jaw, the warped weeble wobbles, fucking <laughs> vision disorder, like VOD, that VOD tape that was going around long Island was just like, it was awesome. It was great. I listened to that thing constantly and, uh, yeah, I'd go I'd go see VOD and uh we we're all really proud of them when they Signed to Roadrunner, and then when they signed to Roadrunner, we all probably called them sellouts once the record came out, you know, punk stuff.
3: Right, right. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> totally. It was, I, I think VOD was the first band that I really kind of recognized as being, you know, hometown heroes, so to speak. Because, like, I mean, they would play out here in Southern California and they would do yeah. really well. You know, they'd play to like three to 500 people, and that was, and the shows were, <laughs> the show, the shows were incredible. But I just don't, I always heard the lore of obviously how well they did in Long Island, where it was like, oh, yeah, you know, they'd play the P in front of like 1500 people it was like holy shit like that's
2: nuts. (laughs) i yeah the record release show is at the pewak and it was them and the warped weeble wobbles and i can't believe i can't remember the other bands who played i think mad ball played um but it was like insane it was fucking crazy it was packed (laughs)
3: that's so cool um And I I find it weird, the transition point of obviously like, you know, going to, I mean, it's not too weird, but just like, because usually you have certain areas that are obviously very, very heavily Ska influenced, like, you know, being from Southern California, like I couldn't escape Ska, but Long Island is never associated really as a hotbed of that sort of stuff. But, you know, what kind of pulled you towards that?
2: Um, I, I know specifically, I mean, like while I was listening to hardcore, I was listening to like just any music I could get my hands on. Uh my like the kid who lived around the block for me, Matt Shields, his brother Mark, had some CDs, and I grabbed a Mr. Bungle CD because I knew Mike Patton was in faith no more, and it was that first record. And um it's kind of a ska record, and I really, really liked it, and then I didn't think anything about it. Um and then I heard about the mighty mighty boss tones and I feel like, I don't know. I think I might've just read about them in a magazine or just like, I thought their aesthetic for that record question. The answers looked cool. Like the cop car, I thought like it just looked cool. Um, and they had like a phone number that you could call, uh, where you could listen to like a snippet of the record. And it was like a snippet of hell of a hat where they're like screaming. And I was like, Oh, this is sick. This is a fucking hardcore band. Um, and, uh, and then I, like, a friend of mine had the CD and lent it to me. Um, and I remember, like, liking the parts where they yelled a lot and thinking the ska parts. I was just like, wait, what the fuck is this? This is, like, polka? What is happening here? Um, and then, like, eventually I just liked that CD so much that I just listened to it over and over, and I, like, really liked those parts. And I played the sax, and I would learned the songs on the sax, and then it just kind of like finding out more stuff from there. Like, uh, my buddy Russell who lived around the block from me gave me like a less than Jake tape. I was like, Oh wow, this is super, super cool. This is fun. Um, and so like, I just kind of got into it from there and there was a great ska scene in long Island. Like there were ska bands in my high school that were really good. Like the lightweights and the posers and, um, like those were two ska bands and they were fucking awesome. And so I think I was just like, finding all this stuff and seeing these bands that were in my high school that were good i was like i want to do that i could do that so it just kind of like happened from there and it you know it didn't it didn't hurt that the songs were fun and the songs were also like kind of sad and dark which no one ever really remembers about ska um but like the 90s ska punk shit but like you know like the Suicide Machines and Lesson Jake and especially Operation Ivy, like all those bands are just singing about isolation and alienation and not really feeling comfortable in your own skin. And that was something I really, really, really related to a lot. And I kind of felt lost listening to a band like uh The Germs, for example. Like, I don't know, I didn't really relate to Lexicon Devil or Forming or anything like that, but like I could tell you every single word in that Operation Ivy CD cause I just sat and listened to it over and over again because I was like, this guy fucking understands what I'm talking about, you know? Minor Threat is the same way, just like those bands. It's just like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like very energetic music about feeling bad, which uh, I think is what I really, really liked about it.
3: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, it de- it's, yeah you, you obviously don't couple... Uh, ska with, you know, really introspective lyrics because most people are paying attention to, like, oh, it's, yeah, like you said, fun, upbeat, whatever, that sort of stuff. But it's like, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think most people are just like, oh, it's not cool. The lyrics are stupid. They're goofy. This is dumb. They're playing horns. This is stupid. This is dumb. Where's my indie rock? It's just like, whatever.
3: <laughs> no, totally, totally. Yeah, because it's like, you know, stuff. I started to be able to, you know, allow myself to listen to ska once it was like, cause you know, I was just like a hardcore kid and it was like, Oh, the two- never- uh,
2: you broke up a little bit there. Sorry. Oh,
3: sorry. I was just saying it was uh, one of those things where, you know, I started to allow myself to like ska bands. Cause of course being a hardcore kid, it's like never the two shall meet, but then,
2: yeah, yeah, it's true. But yeah, then- there was a, at the P Wack, there was a room called the emo room and all the ska bands always had to play the emo room. And that was a small room that was like shamed by the hardcore kids. I felt like also I was 14. Maybe it was all in my head. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no that's that's amazing but it's like yeah a band like voodoo glow skulls or it's like like you said suicide yeah. machines like those bands were dealing with you know very specific points of view that usually obviously r- relied on like you said isolation or feeling kind of left out and uh yeah it's just most people like you said just don't pay attention to it
4: this show is sponsored by better help we're sitting here it's like june and you're like where has the time gone and everybody's like oh my gosh i have no idea i gotta like accomplish all these other things Take a moment, focus on the things that obviously for one matter to you, but for two, look back, be like, what have I done? Well, what have I done? Not so well. And maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help, but where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better therapy therapy is an incredible tool at your arsenal that you can dip into. I've done it for my marriage. I've done it for myself personally, and I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule all you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash Ray.
0: Subject to eligibility requirements, rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
1: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
2: Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, I kind of like and I it's so funny because I've I've, since there's like a ska song that lasts like half a minute on the record. Every time I talk to somebody about this record, I've end up talking about ska. And what I'm realizing is that like it was music for outcasts and it still is music for outcasts. Like it's not it's not fucking cool. It's not there to be cool. It's there for people who are not cool. And it makes sense that people talk shit about it, you know?
3: oh yeah no absolutely um and so like you know once you obviously started to experience uh you know kind of putting your your first band together and um you know playing shows and stuff like that i presume at that point it was one of those things where everything else kind of fell to the wayside and you were just like oh this is all i want to do i just want to play shows and you know eventually go on tour
2: yeah i mean well it kind of like before i had a band um I just like sat in my room with my guitar and a tape recorder and I would just write like these shitty songs and just record them in my tape recorder. And I had a kind of, I had a tape recorder that was not good enough to fully tape over um what you had previously recorded. So for me, that was kind of like a bit of a recording blessing that I could like play guitar and then put in my headphones and sing along to it or put like a guitar lead on top of it. And then it would like, the guitar was recorded so loud that the vocals that like recording, just singing on top of it, wouldn't tape over the whole thing. So you'd kind of have this weird multi-track demo on a tape recorder that just has a record button and like a shitty mic input. Nice. Um, so I just like, I kind of sat around and did that all the time. Like when I got home from school, like that was just what I did. Um, and, uh, I would also like hop on the computer and, like uh i got this program called cakewalk uh illegally when i was a kid um from like some aol chat room shit um and uh yeah i i would just like write songs i would like midi them out and i would like score like horn parts and like every guitar part going like na 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 like that kind of shit with it Uh, so good um and like i was and i was doing that and then um yeah, by the time, like, I realized that there were people who would want to play in a band with, with me, like, my brother's friend, Joe Werfelman, was like, hey, we should start a band, and I was like, okay, cool, like, and I'm already, like, writing songs, so this is how they should go, you want to write these songs, and it was just kind of like, I was doing, like, that was already a thing before the band started, um, and I think, like, the the biggest hurdle was like trying to learn songs completely as a unit i feel like that took years before we actually figured it out but like yeah once we did that um and we were in high school like once we had gotten to that point long island had such a good local ska punk hardcore scene that uh like you could just play shows every day on the weekend if you wanted to and we did and that was like the only thing we wanted to do
3: No, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I I always found it funny too, where like, obviously as you get to tour more and spend more time on the road, um, I always looked at, uh, you know, people that had, you know, five or usually like six or seven piece bands. And I'm like, man, I can't believe you tour like that. There's way too many bodies in the van. (laughs) You know, like you got, you got so many people (laughs) in there. It's like, you know, I I always loved it when it's like, oh man, there's, 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 there's just four people in the van. Like this is so much more comfortable. One more, one body makes a huge difference.
2: Yeah, it does. That's I'm, and you know, just like yeah, trying to feed fucking seven people, it's like a nightmare <laughs> for sure. Yeah,
3: where, where where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I I don't know. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, just even like yeah, yeah. Well, even just trying to pay for food, you know. Yeah, trying to like kind of figure figure out everything for that many people is just like. Yeah, it's hard.
3: Totally. It's like then you then you have your uh your your two vegans in the band and then one vegetarian and then you're like, "Oh, but then we're not going to eat it some shitty, you know, corporate thing like we maybe have to, you know, do this and everyone has their own needs."
2: Yeah, I mean, we kind of always end up yeah, we figure stuff out. I mean, it's that doesn't change no matter how big your band is. At least for me, like I feel like our our dietary complications in our current band at we're so all over the fucking map that it's like there's literally not a single place we can eat where somebody won't be like, "All right, you
3: yeah. know?" <laughs> right? Someone's like, "Cool, looks like I'm just getting the sides here. Looks like I'm getting fries." Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. And did you um you know how how did your parents react to you obviously getting into this subculture and this stuff that they probably didn't understand (laughs) well uh you know they wanted
2: me to think about they wanted me to think about school and they wanted me to think about classes and and other shit and really focus on uh my future stuff and uh i didn't want to do that I, i just wanted to do music uh and so i don't know it was weird it was a weird time um looking back on it they could have i like i don't know they they definitely they certainly could have been worse and i don't blame them for in any way for like being like oh fuck like you're just like never you you've just abandoned all like hopes of like being on like the football team or, or like doing honors science or honors this or any of this shit like your brother and sister have, and you're just like having your older friend pick you up in his Jetta where like you guys all smoke cigarettes in the car and like go to the f- go to like VFW halls and have these like unchaperoned uh, shows where a bunch of teenagers smack into each other. You know, they had about the reaction that you would expect to have from that. Um, maybe a little bit on the, I mean, like I I did it like they didn't like lock me in the house or anything like that, you know, um, but there were certainly times where they were just like, I don't know, not super happy with what I was doing, but right. what are you going to do? <laughs> totally. I mean, that's, that's very understandable,
3: you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. They were, they were like, we're just concerned about Jeff. We don't want him to throw his life away. <laughs>
2: yeah basically i don't know it's tough because like i i mean ask me when i'm 16 and i would have had a lot of uh a lot of strong words about this but like to be honest i'm fucking 34 now and i understand that my parents are just human beings and i i love them to death and you know i don't want i don't want (laughs) i don't want to talk shit about my parents you know what i mean
3: no, well, yeah because like, you you like you said you you understand it from because like especially where it's like you know I'm gonna find it interesting where it's like whatever I, I mean I have a five year old and I'm 36 and it's one of those things yeah. where it's like when he the moment he brings home something I don't understand that's that's the exact same way that our parents felt when yeah. we were like bringing home yeah you know records and wanting to go to shows and they're like what the fuck do you mean going to shows like is it a concert? And you're like, "No, it's a show." Like, that, that whole discussion goes in in cycles and you just don't, you know, you understand where your parents are coming from when you, you know, face it yourself.
2: Exactly. And I mean, the, and honestly, there was a point where I just like stopped talking to them about it. Like I I remember uh, like our house was under construction, so I was like sleeping in a room Towards the back of my house where I could like sneak in through the back door. And I remember coming home late one day and like my mom was waiting for me. She's like, You're you're home at like two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, Yeah. And then <laughs> that was pretty much it. And then that was that. It was just like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what you're gonna do. Are you gonna like you're not gonna sit back here and watch me all the time? Like I'm not drunk. I'm just I was just out with my friends and making music and talking about music. And was just like Fuck, okay, well, you know, it'd probably be too much of a headache to try and rein me in, you know? Right. Um, But, like, but I mean,. Also, I like, for whatever reason, like I just, I didn't spend a lot of time at home. Like I would spend a lot of time at my band friends' houses and stuff like that. And then I'd come home and like go to bed and then wake up and then just kind of do that again. I didn't spend a lot of time at home, I think, because I knew, not I think, I know, because it, it was tense, you know, um, and that tension really fucking stressed me out, um, and, so, like, our band, and and it was, I think it was similar for the other guys in ASOB in a lot of ways, um, which is how we ended up kind of becoming a family and supporting each other, you know?
3: Yeah, totally, because y- you can retreat into one another and be like, okay, well, we know that we can support each other, and obviously our parents, um, you know, are just having difficulties with this, so let's, let's support each other.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and again, my parents, great, great folks. If awesome, I was yeah. 34 and lived in their house now, I'd be... I'd be like, I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally.
3: Um, and so then, uh, you know, obviously as you started to kind of have, you know, visions of, of touring and kind of, you know, whatever, making music your life, um, was there any other thing that kind of entered the picture in regards to like, oh, maybe, you know, I could just kind of do this as a career or whatever, or was it always just like, I'll just, you know, work shitty jobs or, or not shitty, I shouldn't say that, I'll, I'll work temporary jobs in order to, you know, give me the ability to like, you know, drop everything and go on tour when I need to?
2: Yeah, it was always the second thing to be honest with you. I never I never thought of it as something that I would do for my career in any way whatsoever. Like, I... I This, like, as far as, like, production stuff goes, like, music production stuff, like, that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid as a job. But I think as I started to get more into things, it seemed less appealing to me to, like, kind of financialize my passions. Um, so I, my, my plan was always just, like, have a job and then also do music and try and balance the two and try and not put too much pressure on on music and also try to not, um, try to not put, try to not, um, do the thing that we do, uh, just as, as Americans, maybe as humans, I haven't grown anywhere up anywhere else, but America, but we're like, you're kind of taught that your career is supposed to be every single thing in your life. It is supposed to be the thing that you focus on completely entirely. Um, but I've always just thought of it as, like, um, you know, a job is just something that you do to make money. And I think since um, I've always had a bit of a distaste for spending money and stuff like that, uh, that I just was like, okay, so I don't need to, like, freak out about this, and I'm just going to work these things and kind of have that as, like, that's how I pay rent, and that's how I pay bills, and that's how I buy food and booze, and, like, that's cool. And then the band will be the band, and it will be fun. Um, and if we could break even, that'll be cool. And I think once we started doing better than breaking even, it was like, oh, holy shit, this is crazy. I have to like actually think about doing this. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and when that happened, like, I think I was more hesitant than my friends were like when, um, like when bomb broke up and, uh, I had a job, uh, that I didn't particularly like, um, and it was an attempt job where they offered me a full-time job. Um, and I knew they were going to offer me a full-time job cause I was doing a good job at it. It was graphic design stuff. And again, everyone in my graphic design department, super nice, super nice, liked them a lot, but it was just like, not really what I wanted to do. Um, and I talked to my now wife about it and I talked to my parents about it and I talked to like, uh, Mike Parker as Asian man about it. And I think everybody was just like, yeah, dude, stop being a fucking idiot. Like make music. You've been doing this for like like 15 years and you're still like ignoring the fact that this is what you are supposed to be doing. And, uh, I think because of that, that was like the first time I was like, okay, I'll see if I'll try and like actually do this, you know?
3: Right. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's honestly, it's getting over that mental hurdle of just like, Oh, I guess I'll allow myself to do this.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I I think for me, it's just kind of like I never wanted to make any any music or do anything involving music that felt dishonest and felt like I was being pulled that way just because I had to uh, make money to pay bills. Um, So I was always just like, okay, I'll make money to pay bills some other way and I'll also make music. Um yeah, which I think is a repeat of exactly what I just
3: said. No, no. Cool. <laughs> hey, that's perfect. You're it's it's a nice bookend. You're like, hey, I can summarize everything of what I said in just like two seconds.
2: <laughs> yeah, for those of you who listen to all of it, you could have just skipped over the last three minutes where I figured out what to say.
0: Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> Baseball fans.
4: your credit card should match your lifestyle at kemba financial credit union choose a card with benefits that work for you for a limited time all cards have two percent cash back on purchases and zero percent interest on balance transfers for a year apply at kemba.org restrictions apply offer ends June 30th 2024
3: some of the uh you know some of the 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 stuff that you uh address in your new record specifically um the idea you know obviously most people that are involved in uh, a subculture and then grow older with it and then are still passionate about it have to grapple with the fact that it's like oh well now i'm old within the context of this thing that is essentially youth culture um yeah but then still obviously holding on to all of this that you've learned because it's so important um Mm -hmm. you know so it's like the, the the idea of pushing against like oh you can grow older and still be that same person that you know same 16 year old punk ethos kid but you can just obviously do it different contexts um you know how uh, there's like no real question wrapped up into this but you know walk me through the 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 kind of process of of you know when, when you first started to i guess kind of push against that wall of like oh shit do i need to like quote unquote grow up or or can i be this person still in an adult society
2: well i mean i think i still wonder that you know what i mean i I still grapple with that and i'm not like i don't know i i don't feel like i am a 16 year old i feel like i'm a 34 year old i feel like i'm the age that i am you know um like i just am doing a different thing uh and i think a lot of the times that kind of gets interpreted a different way like yeah you're holding on to something but it's just like no the things that like kind of built the character in me um were the things that I'm still doing, you know? Um, and it is strange to be older than the people at the shows and stuff like that. Um, and I don't certainly, I'm not like hanging out with like 17 year olds and being like, Hey, I'm one of the gang or anything like that. You know, that'd be fucking, I don't know. That's just not, that's just not me. Um, but like, I don't know. I'll like, uh, I guess punk eat those shit really, uh, really, uh, informed the way i think about things at a time where um school and authority figures and uh, kind of like the path the slater you that didn't resonate with me at all that seemed horrible to me it seemed it seemed shitty it seemed stupid to me to like work 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 until you could like buy a house and put a fucking flat screen TV in it and get a fancy car and get like a nice refrigerator with three different kinds of ice makers in it and like be able to eat at fancy restaurants and like buy fancy booze and like do all the shit like I was I just kind of never that none of that luxury really ever uh, was appealing to me um so I think that just because of that 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 just like automatically kind of got me started in a weird way where like I wasn't really thinking about that stuff. Um, but I think like, as far as like just punk goes, like the thing I always take from it is just the energy. And that's like at a graphic design job too. Like, or if I'm working at a temp agency, like I'm always just kind of like fired up and excited to do stuff. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that that's something that I'm happy I've retained since I was a teenager. Um, I think I have them more now than than when I was a teenager. To be honest with you, Um, and uh, I think that that a lot of the times people see that as like, oh yeah, you know, you saw that youthful energy, and it's like, no, it just like I know that having energy is an important part of being alive, Um, and I kind of have to like if I if I want to be alive, I kind of just want to be the person who I want to be. You know, there's no point of there's no point of this whole fucking thing if I'm just trying to you know, fit the pegs in the holes. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's most people, because, you know, most people, obviously, the idea of, you know, growing complacent, whatever that may be, or comfortable, whatever you want to classify it as. I mean, that's, I yeah. think that's when people obviously start to give up on the the idea of, like you said, either having that energy, having that, you know, desire to learn or whatever, all those things that people can attribute to quote unquote being alive. And um, yeah, I think that's, it's a very, you know it's a, it's a very tricky line for obviously people that uh you know such whatever people like you and i where we're so involved in a subculture and we still care about it and we still you know foster it by being creative within it um but then sometimes people obviously on the outside look at this and are just like oh that's cool you're still doing like cute kid shit you know like
2: <laughs> yeah i you know i used to think that and i don't think it's like that anymore i think a lot of the time during bond the music industry i was thinking that my friends were thinking that mm-hmm. um and then I did this crazy thing which I actually talked to my friends about things like who had right. jobs. Um and like they're all kind of stoked on what I'm doing and I think that was a big a big thing for me to know that like my buddies who had jobs were like proud of me um and were excited that I was doing stuff and I was just like okay so I'm not doing this fucked up dumb thing like I just kind of lucked out and got to keep doing this and um and especially again when bomb broke up it's like it it, slips in the mouth if you don't enjoy it and don't try and do whatever the fuck you want with it you know um like if you're gonna i feel like music wise if if i was going to try to like fit into whatever i should be doing to be more popular any shit like that then i'd rather just have another job and so the fact that i haven't done that and i've still been able to do this for like like the past year or so I've been able to do it as my job like that fucking kicks ass like I'm not I I don't want to just like throw that away um because everybody else is kind of doing something differently you know Mhm no oh, totally um, And I mean and still like and I I was still able to get married and like we've talked about having kids and we've had practical discussions about like how we would do that if we were doing things this way and like you know it's not like I'm never talking about that, that shit. Thinking about that stuff. Um and I'm always just kind of trying to figure a way like, okay, well, you know, kind of like how I ended up doing stuff with music. It's just like how would I do that the way that I want the in a way that like makes sense for us, you know? Yeah. I, I think it's I think it's important to take a look at a look at yourself and the individual that you want to be and try and just do whatever you can to live a life that lets you be yourself completely. And I'm I feel like incredibly lucky that uh, I've been able to fight through a lot of shit and be able to do that, you know?
3: No, absolutely. Um, and so the, you know, the, the idea of, uh, when, like you said, when you first started to be like, oh, like uh, this, you know, I, we actually came home from tour and we, we have money. Like, do you have any of those, those moments that you obviously like reflect on and look back on as being like, oh, wow, like I feel like there's momentum or people caring about what we're doing. It doesn't have to be from like a, either a big show perspective or the fact that, you know, we made like a thousand dollars at this show. This is insane. But I'm sure you have uh, some moments kicking around your head that you kind of always look back at being like, Wow, that was like that was a pretty pivotal thing.
2: Yeah, the the really big one for me is um when uh when I I booked a tour for Bond the music industry, which uh was, like especially at the beginning, more so than the end, was a collective and it was people like if you could come on tour, you could come on tour. If you can't come on tour, you can't come on tour, not a big deal. I had a temp job at the time that I could leave when I wanted to. Um, so I had a more flexible schedule. Um and uh nobody in the band could go on tour and uh we were supposed to go on tour with my buddy uh Rick, who played in the Rick Johnson rock and roll machine. Um and uh I called him up, I was like, Yeah, tour's off. He's like, No, why don't I just play bass and uh you could sing and play guitar and like all your stuff is like drum machine and synthesizer anyway, why don't we just put that on a thing and go on tour? I was like, well, okay, I'll try it. Um, and the first day of that tour, we played with my buddy, Matt Kurz, who uh, had a one-man band uh, where it was just like him playing the bass with his foot. And like, he wrote really, really great songs, like replacement C songs, just like great fucking songs. Um, and we were like, hey, you should just, uh, you should ask your job if you could take two weeks off and come on tour with us. Um, and he did. And I And I remember being like in florida on that or and like by the time we were down there just thinking like like i remember calling christine just being like hey uh so this the music industry thing is a thing like it worked like people are talking to me about like donation records and stuff like that and like or not donation like free free music and everybody's really excited and people have been donating money and stuff and like it's going really well um and I'm going to start a label and I'm going to put out Matt's record because Matt's awesome and he just made a record. He doesn't know what to do with it. And I'm going to start a thing so people get his record for free too and they could donate if they want to. And then I came home and quote unquote record started and that like really became a very, very big and important thing in my life. Um, and I... Th- that was like everybody for the past year has been telling me is stupid... Um, is not stupid. It was actually an, uh, just a new idea, you know?
3: Yeah, totally. <laughs> people people may have not been uh, ready for it in the context that you were presenting it in.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure alongside the music that I was presenting it with, people were like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, was just somebody screaming over a lot of distortion. I don't know, this sucks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> not that I think
2: it sucks, but you know, right, I, yes. I I I know how the general public feels.
3: This <laughs> is not for everybody, as they say.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, I've, had, I've had relatives say like, "Oh, so I've heard your band,"
3: <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. The um, yeah, you know the the fact that it hey, will. When you uh, originally mentioned that you were in community theater, um, it doesn't shock me based on the fact that, you know, you you seem to be relatively comfortable with the idea of kind of being, you know, obviously the quote unquote center of attention. Not like you're asking for it, but obviously, you know, people that sing in bands like that's kind of a thing that obviously happens as a as a a byproduct of playing in a band. Was that something you kind of had to like grow into or was it, you know, you could kind of take what you you've learned in community theater um, and sort of, you know, translate that into the fact that, yeah, I'm comfortable on stage.
2: I mean, I, I assume that that has something to do with it, but like, I don't think about it at all and I don't like attention. I don't like taking pictures with people. I don't like, I like talking to people, but it, it makes me feel uncomfortable when people, uh, like I'm not great at taking compliments. Uh, I've, I know that I've been told that a lot. Um, I'm not like like if somebody comes up to me and says a nice thing like I don't know what to fucking do um, I've I, you know I've got some pretty low fucking self esteem uh, which is you know I just deal with it, no big deal um, but like uh, like it just it makes me feel a lot of that makes me feel uncomfortable like the, like the thought of doing that kind of just uh, makes me really nervous and but I think that I like when I try and think about what might be happening why I do end up like playing the way that I do is I think I just have a lot of nervous energy and uh, like when I'm up there I'm kind of just blacked out and kind of just going and like I'm just trying to do a good job like I'm not I'm not thinking about too much I'm just trying to do a good job like I'm aware of what's happening I'm just trying to sing and play correctly and uh, most of the time I'm just kind of like unaware and and, and really really in a weird zone that I can't uh, entirely figure out what it is. And I don't, I try not to think about it too much. I feel like that's probably a good thing. Um, and even if it's not a good thing, thinking about it won't be a good thing. So, right. you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I, like, it, I'm sure, like, having done community theater and, like, high school plays and shit, like, made me feel comfortable with the stage and, like, applause and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, beyond, like, I, I don't, like, pull out any tricks or like, I don't know. I, like that, that's not, um, that's that, uh, that's not something that's ever really aware that I'm really ever aware of. Um, but I mean, I know it's in there, so I don't know. Yeah. No.
3: How's that, how's that a non answer to you? No, <laughs> no, it was question. It was no, <laughs> you, you, you did great. It was perfect. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I told you I did compliments anyway. <laughs> Um, but that, you know, kind of, kind of coupled with that is the fact, like you mentioned, and you've publicly mentioned before, where it's just like, you know, you've dealt with a lot of anxiety and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, general malaise. Um, you know, what, what were those things that obviously you utilized, um, to, you know, just kind of push through obviously whatever it is or completely, you know, face it head on and just kind of, you know, address it.
2: Yeah, um, well, I feel I feel really lucky uh, that I that I found music and that I found writing, especially at such a young age, where I was I was like really dealing with it. Uh, it, it really helped me deal with it, and like as I realized that growing up, um, I kind of I really appreciate the fact that I'm able to compartmentalize uh, a lot of the things that come along with depression at a, and anxiety. Um, and I've been able to kind of compartmentalize that into when I'm writing, uh, and to when I'm playing and, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of how I deal with that stuff. And, and, and again, I feel, and that's probably why I am going to keep doing this. Like, even if I had a job, I'd still write songs and record them and like send them, put them up on the internet or whatever, you know, like I would just for free still, like it's not like that. It's not so It's ever going to stop for me just because, um, while I am uh, overjoyed and ecstatic and over the moon and beyond appreciative that uh, people seem to be enjoying it as of late um, like it doesn't matter to me like I'm writing songs because I need to write those songs um, so I'm going I'm gonna like keep doing that yeah
3: the, uh, there's two last things I want to head on before I let you go was um, you know, sure obviously your uh, your decision to release music through side one dummy um i mean to me when you first, when that was first announced it was like oh yeah it makes total sense because um i mean side one dummy the way that they operate their label is very much you know what a lot of labels existed in um you know whatever in the mid 90s where it was like this this very familial vibe where it's like you know if you pick up one record uh by a band on this label you probably will like the other bands in this label even though they may not sound exactly alike um I presume that was very deliberate, like when you first started to kind of entertain the idea of working with labels that it needed to foster some, some sort of feeling like that to make it feel like you're obviously a part of something as opposed to just like this, this cog in the machine.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I didn't realize side One dummy was a label like that until I was on the label, to be honest with you. Uh, it just like, they hit me up right after we were done recording. We really cool. And it was just kind of like, I didn't, I, I didn't expect it to happen. And, like I was saying before, I just asked people's advice and everyone was just like, you should go for it. You should go for it. Um, and I met them all and they were all really nice. They were all super nice. And I liked them a lot. Um, and so that just, that was kind of more of it than anything it was just like meeting, uh, Christina and Jamie initially from side one dummy right off the bat. Like they were just fun to hang out with. Um, and when I had like I went to Sidewind Dummy to talk to them a little bit about like possibly doing the record together, like right before I flew over to Australia to do the first Smith street Man record that I did. Um, and uh, yeah, I just remember hanging out and just being like, Oh, so this is just like, it was just like, I like, it just felt like a familial vibe personality wise for the people who worked at Sidewind dummy. Um, which I, that, And I mean, the only other labels I've really worked with, like Asian man records is Mike Park and Skylar and Bob. And those guys are my friends and I still hang out with them. Um, And my buddy Pete, who runs EJRC, who helped me put out Vacation, um, like he's a good friend. Like they're all really good friends. And I think it's Sidewind dummy when I met them and seemed like they we kind of just vibed on the same things. It was like okay, cool. I like them. And then I asked them if I could put the music out for free still. And they said, yeah. And then, well, they said no. And then I said, please. And then they said, yeah. Uh, And then, uh, yeah. And so that just kind of was it. And then I kind of realized later on that, yeah, everybody inside one dummy, Um, especially right now, like we're all buds and it's really cool. And I like everyone on that label and it's awesome. And I keep signing more buddies of mine and just like sick. Allison Lace is on the label now. That's fun. Chris Farron's on the label now that rules. Yeah. You know?
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, and obviously like you mentioned earlier, um, you know, production seems to be something that you're obviously getting into and that's always something you've kind of had a vision for. Um, is it, it, I presume now you kind of feel obviously ready to take on that handle, whereas maybe, you know, Whatever. Five to ten years ago, you might not have felt like you uh, maybe could have done the best job at it, um, or did, have you always felt ready?
2: No, I mean it's a, it's a matter of like mustering up confidence and trying to remember that you're there for a reason, and somebody asked you to be there. So, like, if you say something, you're being helpful; you're not being stupid, um, which is something I just grapple with constantly all the time. Um, but like the first situation that that was like kind of pro that I was in was that Smith street band record, throw me in the river. And like right off the bat, we were in an expensive recording studio, like a nice recording studio with the engineer who, uh, did the cat power record, uh, moon picks and did like the first living end record, maybe the first two living end records. Um, they have like the avalanches were in the fucking B room there. And I'm just like this fucking scrub from long Island. Just like, Oh, okay. Um, and I remember Matt Voigt, the engineer, was just, uh, really nice to me. Um, and didn't make me feel like I did not belong there. And when I would suggest things like, Hey, let's put up a wall at the end of the room and let's put a microphone behind it and let's bury it. I think it'll sound cool. It'll sound fucked up and weird. Like did it. And we ended up using that mic. And I was like, Okay, great, and it's just kind of like little things like that that have happened. Like when I when I suggest something, and people are like, "Yeah, let's do it," and then I hear it back, and it sounds good, and the band's happy. Like more and more when that happens, I'm just like, "Okay, cool, I'm into this. I'm I'm doing a good job." And then also it's just a matter of know, just trying to be friends with the people you're working with and looking out for their songs and trying to make sure that they're all doing the things that they want it to do and being honest and helping out where they're like, I don't know what the song should do here, Being like try this or being honest. You're like, Hey, I heard the demo. This part goes on for a long fucking time and it doesn't need to maybe uh, get rid of some of it. Like just not feeling weird about doing that and also accepting everybody else's ideas. Um, So it's cool. I I think I just do a good job at it because I like music. Um, and I really like doing it, the whole confidence thing and trying to like tell people what to do. I don't, I'm not super good at that, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just constantly trying to grapple with it. Like I still, I don't feel like I'm necessarily all that much better at that than I ever have been. Um, sure. But at the same time, it's like people are asking me to do it. I got to do it. You know, like, uh, I, like, I don't know, I'm not going to fucking turn down any music job, especially when it's something that, like, I kind of dreamed about doing when I was a kid just because I'm, I'm scared of doing it, you know? Like, if I fuck it up, send me home, and I haven't fucked anything up too bad just yet, so I've, I still get to do it, I
3: guess, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly um and then uh like i mentioned at the the you know onset of our, our chat was the fact that you know you've uh you've done a lot of podcasts with like you know being a co-host on going off track and stuff like that um you know you see you you personally seem to obviously ask you know really kind of introspective and you know uh digging questions or leading questions um is it has it always been kind of natural for you to uh i guess either share so much about yourself or obviously be inquisitive uh of the the, the deeper sides of life so to speak
2: um, I don't know.
3: I think i just, uh, I take
2: no, I take no pleasure in lying. I find it incredibly stressful and anxious and I don't like doing it. That's why I'm generally so honest. Um, I also can't shut up. So I have a good combination of like, I talk too much and I like lying is not fun for me in any way. Um, so I think that's that's why I'm like kind of like that myself, and um, I don't know. And it's I, I and like I just ask questions because I'm curious about things, you know. I I guess I've probably read a lot of interviews with a lot of musicians and a lot of people, and I and I find stuff like that interesting. So I'm just trying to ask ask the thing. I'm trying to ask the thing that I think is interesting. <laughs> um, like I, like when I went to school, like I was I was trying to do journalism for a little bit because I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then I just, I just never ended up going that way, but like, I don't know, I kind of like when I was a kid, I would, I would make like like fake fanzines on the computer for like green day and offspring and like write fake interviews up. And then eventually like I would, I would interview them myself and stuff. And, uh, not those bands, like smaller bands, but like, uh, you know, I think that it just kind of, comes from i don't know i've always been interested in bands i'm always curious how they work like right now like right now i'm at a i'm at a studio and john and yellow who is a fucking amazing engineer um who's worked with sonic youth and dinosaur jr and the thermals and uh, a bunch and countless great bands like working on a cindy lopper record like all i want to do right now is go there and ask him 5,000 questions about a million things. Um, so I think like when I'm talking to somebody interesting, I just want to ask them a lot of stuff. And maybe also if I'm asking like dark questions, I just, it's like just me just being like, fuck, how do you get through it? Because sometimes I don't know how to fucking get through it, you know? <laughs>
3: right, totally. You're like, I'm actually looking for, there's no question here. I'm just looking for Yeah, look for some advice. advice.
2: <laughs> what the hell do I do?
3: <laughs> totally. I'd be actually using you for my own personal benefit, Please.
2: <laughs> yeah please tell me uh, I don't my resume is not good how do I format this how, would, how do you format your resume Bobby Moynihan
3: yeah <laughs> that, would, that would be absolutely incredible if you like like physically pulled out like a computer and like were like doing a like step by step process with a person on the podcast
2: yeah asking for a friend um, there I don't know my bank password how do you find
3: it <laughs> totally could you What what's the 800 number you call <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? how do I get through to customer service on this thing? I've
2: been on the line for a long time. Mike Yerg.
3: <laughs> yes. Help me out. Well, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, I really appreciate you hanging out and making time in your day. Cause I know you're uh, you're a busy dude, but uh, yeah, this has been fun for me and I hope it uh, hasn't been too painful for you.
2: It's, it's been just the right amount of pain for me. Thanks uh-huh. a lot for, for to me. I really appreciate it.
3: There was Mr. Rosenstock. Just a, a pleasant chat with that uh, fine gentleman. So, yes, that was uh, that was much much needed for myself. And um, anytime I'm able to have these conversations, because I know a lot of people um, have been giving me, you know, feedback questions where it's like, man, how are you even able to like you know do anything right now um, with all the kind of chaos that's swirling around you? And really, it's it's kind of the the work that I do. <laughs> Is what's able to uh, kind of keep me going because you know if you sit around being focused on something and you're kind of playing out every single scenario in your head, uh, that doesn't do anybody any good. Not not only does it do me, uh, it, I was supposed to say an injustice, but that's not that's such an overstatement. But uh, it doesn't do me any good if I'm sitting in this negative headspace. It doesn't do my wife any good sitting in this negative headspace. And um, yeah, so I, I this podcast exists. Um, to be a vehicle for creative expression and uh, that creative expression will get out even in times of tragedy which uh, what I'm experiencing right now so thank you very much for listening and uh, thank you to Jeff and thank you to Jamie at Side One Dummy for always uh, helping out the show and bringing me some cool people to talk to and uh, happy Thanksgiving because uh, you are more likely than not listening to this either you know days after or on Thanksgiving and um, hopefully you kind of sit around and whatever situation you're in, whether it's a room full of friends, room full of family, uh, or if it's just, you know, with one loved one, it doesn't matter. You really, you just soak it in, just really appreciate the, you know, little nuances of the moment, uh, stuff that is pretty small and inconsequential may end up playing a much larger part in your life much later where you're just like, man, I remember that necklace you wore on that one night. Or I remember that, that shirt you were wearing with that, that cool thing on it or whatever. It's just, those are the memories that kind of stick in your head. It's just, uh, it's wild when, um, that stuff may get taken away from you is when you just remember some really, really specific things about your life. So anyways, I just encourage you to be thankful for everybody, uh, around you and hopefully, the, you know, fear that a lot of us are, are feeling inside, uh, can be turned away for even if it's just a couple hours and focus on the people that you care about the most. So there's my Thanksgiving message. And, uh, hopefully you're, um, you know, enjoying it, not eating some animals as well, because uh, that's, uh, important, you know, how about you eat some mashed potatoes, right? <laughs> Anyways, happy Thanksgiving. And I will be back next week. I'm not even going to tell you. Well, should I tell you? Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna tell you. So next week's episode, is with Billy Reimer, the uh, drummer of the Dillinger escape plan. And, uh, it was a very weird yet cool conversation I had with him because he was like loading drums and I never like to speak to people when they're on tour, but, uh, this was kind of a necessity. So, um, yeah, that is what's happening next week. And, uh, please until then be safe, everybody. Like I tell you every single week, but really truly this time be safe, everybody.
1: You've been listening to the
3: Jabberjaw podcast network, com. Shh.